something that has become commonplace and everyday use for the vast majority of Americans and many around the world is a little something called social media. Does anybody use social media? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Anybody affected by social media? Something you see on there? Something you see somebody post? Anybody ever say to somebody else, hey, you won't believe what they posted on Twitter. You won't believe what they put on there. Anybody ever said that about a relative? You won't believe what my sister, you won't believe. What, there's one time, we, you won't believe what my grandmother put on there. Because <laughs> you don't realize that other people can see what you like sometimes. If I, they like this. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> hmm. That's to make a phone call real quick. Does anybody use social, no, don't answer this one. This is just for, you know, you contemplate on. You know, when it comes to social media, there's people who tend to post a lot on social media, and there's other people who tend to use it more just to observe, let's use a kind word, other people's lives, and see what's going on. Just keep an eye out for what's out there. Um, and so, but the people who post on social, and if you've ever posted, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you post and when you get that little notification that pops up, says somebody liked your post, somebody shared your post, somebody commented on your post, you begin to, you know, it makes you feel a little, you know, good, right? You know, somebody likes what you said. Somebody, com somebody thinks what you said is so great they shared it so other people can see what you said. And so you feel good about that. Well, I'm sharing all this about social media because I've learned a lot in the last few months about social media that I've, in, in the periphery of my brain, had thought but never really understood. Uh, as the church, we've been posting more um, different things on social media. We've seen this come to fruition. But there's this thing in social media called the algorithm. Anybody heard that word before? The, it's like this big, you know, it's like big brother of social media. It's, it's, it's like this big unknown entity that's out there that's going to take over the world, and then the Terminator's going to have to come and save us. It's this crazy thing. Well, the, the way this algorithm deal works is uh, kind, you know, in a very, uh, a very lowbrow concept that I have to understand it. Uh, you people probably understand it way better than I do, but if somebody likes your post or somebody shares your post or somebody comments on your post, that makes your post more valuable to the algorithm, all right? A, a like is worth so many points to the algorithm, a comment is worth so many points to the algorithm, and a share is worth so many points to the algorithm. And the way this works is when you log in to social media, you don't see everybody's post you follow. The algorithm takes what they think you're going to like and they put it so you can see it. And so it does all this big math equation stuff and says, okay, well, so many people like this, so many people commented on this, so many people shared this, so this is something you would like because you, so many of your friends did this. But if you ever go in and like somebody else's post or comment on somebody else's post or share somebody else's post, you, the algorithm, is going to think you want to see more of that person's stuff. And so that person's posts are going to pop up more in front of your feed. And so what ends up happening is people begin to post for the likes post in order to be seen by more people. This is what has developed in a new line of employment called social media influencers. They try to game the system and, and get the algorithm on their side, and so they post things in order to get likes or to get comments or to get shares so that more people will see it. 
And if more people see it, the more people, more advertisers are going to want to, want to you know, call them up and pay them money to advertise stuff. And so this is the way this works is we begin to post stuff for the likes. We begin to uh, uh, post stuff to manipulate the algorithm so more people can see what we like. And, and the reason I bring that up is, is in learning some of this, that as the church has been posting, I don't know if y'all have seen some of the stuff the church has posted. We, I mean, there was some great deal, quote Beth Moore yesterday. Um, but as people like it or share it or comment on it, that means more of the people who are your friends will see the stuff we post, like the live stream that's going on right now. The numbers of that have gone up exponentially the last few weeks as the church has done this because of this mysterious algorithm business. It's all out there in the void, in the cloud. But what people want to do in posting things that will get more likes or more uh, uh, comments or shares is they, they, there's this phrase that's out in the void. It's called stopping the scroll. Because when you scroll through social media with your thumb, you don't stop until you see something that catches your eye. Because there's so much mess out there in the void that you really just only want to stop and spend time on something that really catches your eye. And so once it catches your eye, you stop scrolling and you look at it. If you like it, you click the little heart button or the little thumbs up button, whichever one you're, whichever social media platform you're on. And, and then that tells the algorithm, you like this. You want to see more of this. And so you like it. And it becomes ingrained in our minds the second we post something and we send it out there. Uh, maybe this isn't you, but this has been me in the past of... I want people to like this. I want people to comment on this. And, and again, maybe this isn't you. It, it gets so bad sometimes um, for some people, let's say a friend of mine, that you get into a situation even with your family like, oh, I'm going to take a picture of this and post it because I know people are going to like it. Now, anybody ever think that? I'm going to post this, people are going to like it? Some of you are cutting your eyes at the person next to you. I, I saw it, and you don't want to elbow them, but you're really fighting hard. I can s don't elbow them. That will create problems this afternoon. You'll be napping on the couch. Um, but uh, uh, you begin to live for the likes. You know, take a picture to post it. Think of a good quote to post it. You do this, and, and we're living this, this fake life kind of deal, and we're living to be liked by people to be liked in the social media world, but it's not just social media stuff. If you really d dial this back into physical life, how much of what we do do we want to be liked by people, other people? What we do, what we say, how we dress, how we walk, how we communicate. Um, we want to be liked generally by people. You know, God said in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 to Samuel, he said, the Lord looks at the heart. He said, people look at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, at the way a person looks, at the way a person acts. That's the way people look. He said, but God looks at the heart. He said, God was speaking actually to Samuel because Samuel was making a judgment call based upon an appearance of somebody else. And God said, stop doing that. You're messing everything up. It's all about the heart. Trust me because I can see what you can't. Now, Jesus speaks to this exact issue in a series, three, a series of three uh, illustrations he gives in Matthew chapter 6, which is where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 6 on page 811. If you're using the Bible on the rack, you can also find it on our website, dequeen.church. It'll be the top card that pops up there. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving this teaching across Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 uh, that is called the Sermon on the Mount. 
He's teaching it to a bunch of people who want to be followers of Jesus, want to be his disciples. And he says, okay, this is what it looks like to be a follower of me. And when we get to Matthew chapter 6, he's going to give a a summary in verse 1 of what he's talking about. And then we're going to read the the beginning of these next three sections uh, and see the illustrations, the, the examples he gives about his summary. So Matthew chapter 1. Or Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So again, this is, this is his big idea. Jesus' overview of the illustrations he's about to give. He, he tells them, look out, beware of practicing your righteousness. That means your Christian life, your Christian actions in front of other people to be seen by them. For if you do that, you will have no reward from God. That's pretty rough. We need to be careful in trying to walk in God's will that our motivations are completely empty of pride, that our motivations are completely empty of, of, of wanting to be seen doing what we're doing. Because... To do, to be seen doing, is to do for those who see you doing. You with me? Even when I wrote that down, I had to say it several times in my head to make sure I understood exactly what I was writing down. To do, to be seen doing, is to do for those who see you doing. If I do something for God in order to be seen by another individual, I am no longer doing it for God. I am doing it for that person. I am not I am no longer doing the thing that I whether it it can let's just put it in a worship context. Even raising your hand in the room or not raising your hand in the room if you're doing it because of somebody else and you're not doing it for God or you're not withholding it from God, you're doing it for that person and not for God. Your worship isn't for God, it's for the person. Is what he's saying. He said you I mean this is the the language is very rough here. He says, you will have no reward. Now, there's no exception clause. You know, unless you'll have, you know, 15% reward from Jesus. He says, no, zero, no reward from your Father for the thing you're doing in that thing. I'll receive no reward from God. God will receive no glory from me for the thing that I'm doing if I do it in that manner. And he gives these illustrations here in this next few sections illustrating this one point to do something for Jesus which he wants us to do he wants us to live a life for God but if we live the life for God to be seen by other people doing the thing then God receives no glory and I receive no reward because I'm doing it for them and not for God it removes completely the praiseworthiness and the the glory that would be there otherwise Let's look at the first illustration, verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. That's implied. That's something he says in a moment. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, 
and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, he talks about hypocrisy here. Now, what is so great about this? What's so great about Jesus? He's not afraid to call a spade a spade, even if the spade is in the room and nobody wants to look at it. Okay, he says, when you give, now it says to the needy here, the implication of what Jesus is using is giving for ministry purposes. When you give, sound no trumpet as the hypocrites do. He says, in the synagogues and in the streets, he's talking about the religious leaders. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the people who give and make it known to, hey, I'm giving, look at how much I'm giving. People who, you know, not writing first century checks, but they're, you know, they're cashing out their giving into coinage so everybody can hear it when it falls into the, you know, the offering deal. And, and these guys are you know, making sure everybody's watching as they walk over there and they give and everybody can see that they're giving and they're giving the amount that they're giving. And he's calling them hypocrites. It's as though he's pointing to them in the room. I mean, they're, undoubtedly, some of them are in the crowd because they're always trying to find something to trick Jesus. It's as though Jesus is, is, has this crowd of hundreds or thousands, and he's pointing to them and says, the hypocrites do this, and everybody's like, oh, well, he just, he just said that. They're, he's right there. He's calling them straight hypocrites in the synagogue. I mean, it's those guys. They're right there. He says they're in the synagogues, and they're on the streets, and they're doing this to be praised by other people. And when they do that, he says, they have received their reward. So any reward they would get from God for the giving that they're doing, they don't get because they're doing it to get reward from people, to get praise from people, to get adulation from people, to make people think better of them because they are doing the thing. And he says, but when you give, do it in such a secret way that even your left hand doesn't know that your right hand is doing it. Which physically is an impossibility. It's an illustration he's giving. I mean, you can't, you know, get your right hand doing something over here and just secretly pull something out of your pocket so the right hand can't see what's going on. He's saying it needs to be so secret in that way that, you know, that even those closest to you don't realize this thing that you're doing. Now, if they see it, you know, it just happens, fine. But you don't do it for that purpose, to be seen, to completely remove that section of your heart in order to be seen. Because... In, in what he's saying, the hypocrisy here is acting as though I'm honoring God, all the while I'm drawing attention away from God. When I bring the attention on myself, I'm removing the attention from God. And I'm saying not only to my own heart when I, like in this illustration, giving to be seen, I'm putting my own attention on me and give pulling anyone else's attention on me instead of my attention and their attention all being on God, I'm, I'm removing that attention and placing it on myself. Exceptionally prideful. And Jesus is just calling it right out. Instead of giving God attention, I'm giving attention to those who I want to notice me. Let me give you an illustration. Some of you may not know what this is. This is a vacuum cleaner. And if you don't know, you need to learn what, how, to, how it operates. Now, I don't know how you work in, in your life or in your family or whose duty it is to vacuum at your house. But let's just say when I was younger, I can remember having the job of, of vacuuming. Um, and even... <laughs> when we were first married, I can remember doing this. 
and uh, wanting to be seen doing it. Because if you're not seen doing it, you don't get the credit. You know, and you, you vacuum. You, she would, like, for instance, let's just take when we were first married and Katie would run an errand and I, I wanted to vacuum, I needed to vacuum. Um, might wait until I hear the car pulling in. Oh, 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 I've been doing this for hours. I just can't get this one thing up. I'm just going and going. Or vacuuming in such a way that the lines stay in the floor. And so you don't walk on the line, so you make sure the lines stay so they see the lines when they come in. You know what I'm saying? Any, anybody relate to this? Am I just, okay, I saw that. I saw, yeah, okay, I know. You know, you just don't want to admit it in front of the person sitting next to you. Um, but we would do this, and we all do something of this nature from time to time. Maybe it's emptying the dishwasher. You make a bunch of noise doing the dishes because you want to get credit for doing the dishes. Or taking out the trash. You do the trash. want to get the credit for taking out the trash. We're going to church, posting on social media, I'm at church today, because you want to make sure everybody sees you're going to church today. And you, you, you're, in your thinking, it's all about the likes. It's all about getting somebody to notice. It's all about getting the attention. It's say, look at me, I'm doing it. I'm doing, I'm doing the good stuff. I'm vacuuming the floor. I'm getting the dirt out of our lives, out of our family. I'm doing it. But when we do it to get the attention, when we do it to get the credit, we're not doing it for love. And when we're not doing it for love, there's nothing in it. If there's no love in it, then we're completely missing the point. It's almost as though we're removing the love and replacing it with attention and praise for me and not love for somebody else, for the other person we're doing it for. And, and here in verses 2 and 3, Jesus uses giving as just one example where we can take attention away from God and, and assign it to ourselves. When we emphasize our giving, our giving, rather than emphasizing our faithfulness to a faithful God, we're saying it's all about me. It's all about me, but that's similar, I mean, using giving again, similar to giving in order to, uh, to be noticed is, is similar to giving in fear. We give in fear sometimes when we give to God. And the way that, some of you say, you, you hear that phrase, giving in fear, well, what in the world does that mean? I, don't, I mean, if I'm fearful, I'm not going to give, but sometimes we allow fear to limit how much we give. And again, that puts the attention back on us. And not on a faithful God who is always faithful, who is always trustworthy, and who always delivers and always provides right on time. You see, giving to God or giving God singular attention is God-honored giving. Giving God singular attention is God-honored giving. When we give God singular attention in what we're doing for him, and we're not thinking uh, about how others see us in what we're doing. And we're not thinking about the attention we can gather because of what we are doing. Now, I, I'll challenge you, try this for the next seven days. It's hard as all get out to remove any amount of selfishness out of your brain when you do what you do. We are so hardwired selfish people that maybe you're not. I mean, I am. Uh, that when we do something to completely not think about the attention we will get because of the thing we're doing is so hard, y'all. It is so hard to do that. 
I mean, it's like doing the vacuuming, right? And you get the lines on the carpet and then walking over the lines with your bare feet or socked feet because, you know, shoes will make it dirty again and, and just to mess up the line. So nobody sees you did it. You know you did it, but nobody sees you did it. You don't get credit for doing it. You might get in trouble because you didn't do it, but you, you're doing it to do it because you love the ones you're doing it for. Not to get the, I mean, to, it, it, it is so hard to pull every ounce of that, even the minutest percentage of that out of your brain. It's so hard to do that. But that's what Jesus is asking of us. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus, is pursuing this. Now, he knows we can't achieve perfection, but we should be making progress, moving towards the direction he wants us to go and getting better every day, every moment, and moving away from the, 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 the imperfection of the past and moving forward into what he has for us in the future. But it's hard. It's difficult. But, he, but I mean, remember back in verse 1, he says, if, if we don't do this, we receive no reward from our Father in heaven. So look at the next. We're going to actually read the, uh, let's read the next illustration, verse 5. He said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, public prayer to be seen and heard really misses the point of prayer in the same way living for God in any way misses the point of living for God to begin with. But public prayer, to, in order to be seen, completely misses it because uh, prayer is about focused communion with the heart of God. And when we pray, thinking about who's listening to us in the, you know, the words we use, the vocabulary we use, because we know somebody's listening to what we're saying, uh, if that impacts what we're saying, then we're not praying to God, we're praying to that person. And these are illustrations that Jesus is using. You may not pray in public a lot, uh, but just how you live your Christian life, if you do it in order to be seen by somebody else doing the thing you're doing, then it's not for God at all, it's all for that person. We can lie to ourselves better than we can lie to anybody else. And we can lie to ourselves and say, oh, I am doing it for God. I mean, really, I'm doing it to keep that jewel in my crown. Like it says somewhere in Scripture, I don't know where. I heard it said a thousand times before. But I'm doing it for God, but not really. I'm doing it because I want so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so to see me doing it. I know they're going to see me. I know they're going to, I'm going to post it. And they're gonna, I know the three of them are going to like it. I know it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get credit for it. We may not say it in those words, but those thoughts sometimes are in the back of our head. And when we do that, we don't do it for God at all. We're doing it for them. And that's the, that's, uh, that's the hypocrisy Jesus is pointing out. And a, a hypocrisy in me that he's pointing out. And so using his illustration, when we pray in this way, we're praying to the approval of the human hearers and not praying to the Almighty. The third illustration, verse 16. Jump down. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, 
Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So there were people, some people in Jewish society, if they were to follow the Jewish um, uh, regulations of spirituality to the letter of the law, there was quite a few opportunities to fast. And whenever they would fast, I mean, abstaining from food, they would make it look like they were abstaining from food, like in the worst way. You know, they would dress a certain way, they would make their faces look a certain way, because when you're abstaining from food, when you're fasting, you know, you don't feel very well a lot of the time. And so they're fasting, and they would let everybody know that they're fasting. Oh, man, if I weren't fasting right now, I'd be doing that. Man, if I weren't fasting right now, I'd be going over here and eating that with you, but I got to go fast. You say, hey, let's go eat lunch. I can't go eat lunch, man. I'm fasting right now. Yeah, I'll go with you, but I'm going to pray at the table while you eat because I'm fasting. That's what they would do. And Jesus, again, pointing out the hypocrisy here, the discrepancy in what they're putting out and what is actually going on in their heart, is saying this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so he says, when you fast, fast that you won't be seen by others, but by the Father who is in secret. He says, anoint your head and wash your face. Anointing and washing, this isn't a religious description that he's using here as anointing often is. Uh, this actual description he's using is from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9. This is a, a, a cleaning of oneself in preparation for celebration of God, celebration of worship. And he's giving that illustration. That's what fasting should be. It should be about fasting and prayer. It should be about pursuing the heart of God. So when you do this, that's what it should be about. You should clean yourself up because you're not fasting for the other person. You're fasting for God. You're fasting to get with the heart of God, to understand God's will, to hear from the Lord in a way you have not heard about a particular issue. You're, you're fasting and praying. And he's saying, when you do it and to be seen, you're not doing it for God. You're doing it for people. So stop. Jesus is saying this. And, but he says this over and over again. I don't know if you heard it throughout the whole passage. A word he repeats a lot is secret. Secret. God who is in secret sees what you do in secret. That is an intentionality and, and purpose, purposefully hiding what you're doing so that only God gets the glory for it is what he's talking about. He says purposefully in secret. I must work diligently to keep my relationship with God between me and God. I need to live in such a way that everyone sees I'm different and I'm following God, but my relationship with God needs to be about me and God so that pride doesn't seep in and do great damage to that relationship that's within me. Because pride, man, pride is an atomic bomb that doesn't just immediately go off. It's like it's ticking down within us, and we don't often realize it until it's too late, and then it just blows up within us. And we look back and say, well, what happened? All of a sudden, this thing went dead. wasn't all of a sudden, it was a t ticking time bomb that went off, and we didn't know it the whole time, but we allowed that, 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 that time within us, that pride within us to take us to a place we weren't prepared to go. When I give more attention to how people think or, or how I think people observe my life or how I think people hear my prayers or how I think people think about the fasting that I do using his illustrations, uh, when I give more attention to that than to how powerful and, and how loving and how compassionate and how worshipful God is, the one is to whom I pray, 
I'm completely missing the point of Jesus dying and raising to draw me to Jesus, to draw me to God. I'm no longer praying to God. I'm no longer fasting to God. I'm no longer giving to God. I'm no longer living for God. I'm doing all of those things, fasting, praying, giving to those people. Even though I'm mean, taking the giving, maybe I'm physically giving to the church, but in actuality, my motivations are for the other person. And so I'm not doing what God desires of me to do, living as God desires me to live. When my attention is more about the people noticing my quote-unquote dedication to God, then I'm doing the thing for them and not for God. I mean, if we were just to look at God's own history, God doesn't do what he does for credit. Yes, we should praise him. Yes, he asks us to praise him. But think about it. How much does he really do for which he receives zero credit? A lot. Yeah? God does a lot that he, I mean, just in my life. And I'm the pastor. The stuff that he does for me that I give him zero credit for because either I'm too busy and don't observe it and don't notice it and don't praise him for it, but he continues to do it because he loves. He continues to do it whether I give him credit or not. He is praiseworthy, and I ought to give him credit for it, but he does it anyway. I mean, think about, I mean, what's the most famous Bible verse in the whole Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave Jesus. He loved just the Christians. He loved just the good people. He loved just the people who don't watch the bad TV shows. No, he loved the world. No qualifying statement after that. He loved the world, so he sent Jesus to die. Jesus God loved without exception, and so he did for us. I mean, just in creation itself, much less the salvation of our eternal souls through the death and resurrection of his son, he loves without limit, without bound, without any restraint, he loves. He loves in this way. And, and so our response to that should be whether or not we get credit, whether or not we get attention, we should live for him. Remember Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is Jesus talking about the life of a disciple. We should live the life of a, the Christian life for Jesus, whether or not anybody notices. But I guarantee you, if you do, people will. But it shouldn't be about that at all. And using his examples, giving, praying, fasting, should be a part of the life of the disciple. But when those things give no attention to God, they receive no attention from God. That goes all the way back up to verse 1. The lifestyle of a disciple that gives no attention to God receives no attention from God. Remember verse 1, he said, Jesus said, they will have no, you will have no reward from your Father. You will have no reward. If I do it to be seen by somebody else, I'm doing it for them and not for God, and I don't get reward from God. I get reward from that other person in the, you know, uh, the better thoughts they have of me because they saw me doing the thing. That's my reward in full. See, God gives you attention. God gives you attention in all kinds of ways, especially through Jesus 
in his death and resurrection. God gives you attention, and so we should be in response giving him attention, not taking our attention that should be directed on God and giving it to somebody else when we want them to observe us living the Christian life. That doesn't mean you don't ever post about doing something for God. That doesn't mean you don't ever do that. That doesn't mean you don't ever do the vacuuming in the house and other people see it, but you just don't do it in order to be seen. That may be a side effect of doing it. I mean, if you're living the life of a disciple, the Christian life, it's just naturally going to happen. People are going to see you do it. It's just going to happen. But that, what he, Jesus is saying is that should not be within us the primary or secondary or tertiary, mo- I don't know what the fourth one is, but whatever, the, the motivation within us at all, at all. Because if it is, then it's not about God anymore. It's all about that other person. You see, your attention on God. Now, you say, okay, I want to give God this attention. You're telling me that we need to, Jesus is talking about here. I know I need to give God this attention. How can I do it? How can I keep my attention on God? Now, it's a process. It's a process. You know, if you're like me, it's isn't going to be something, okay, I'm just going to take my inner dial that's set at 15% of how much I give Jesus. I'm going to crank that puppy up to 100. I'm good to go for the rest of my life. Now, it's a process, and it's going to come and go and ebb and flow as time, you know, depending on the situation you're in and uh, um, the temptation you're under at the moment. We should, though, continually be pursuing giving him our full attention as we're filled with the Spirit. But the way you do this Um, the attention you give to God is in direct proportion to your understanding of his attention on you. Your attention on God is in direct proportion to your understanding of his attention on you. The more we understand about how much attention God gives us, about how much love God gives. I mean, that's uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love God because he first loved us. We can't love him unless we know, first of all, he loved us. And so in the same way, he gave us attention in giving us life, in giving us Jesus, eternal life. And so then we can now give him attention. And the more we understand about how much he provides for us, about how much he does for us, about how much he takes care of us, about how much attention he gives us, the more we understand about that, then the more attention we give him in response. And the more we learn about God, we learn more that he provides for us, more about his love. That that helps us give more of our attention to him. So the more we know about him, the more attention we want to give him is the way this works. And so we have to ask that question then. Will I give God my attention today? Will I give God my attention tomorrow? Will I give God attention in the, like the illustrations he gives, in giving, in, in praying, in fasting? Will I give God attention in my life? Or will I farm that attention out to somebody else? Will I give God, I mean, God gave me attention in every kinds of ways when I absolutely did not deserve it. He still gave it to me. He still gave me that attention in sending Jesus. Will you give attention to him over and above all those other things, all those different motivations and thoughts that permeate the deep, dark recesses of our brain? Or will you give it to, or give it to God instead of giving it to others? Maybe you need to give God attention for the first time. For the first time. 
before we even get to eternity, maybe believer, Christian, you need to give God attention for the first time in your giving, in your praying, in your fasting, in how you do church. You need to give him attention and not somebody else because it needs to be about Jesus. Like I said, though, this is, a, this is difficult. It's a struggle. It's, it's hard because at the same time, Satan knows when you make this decision, you want to do it. and He's going to put everything in your way to mess you up, everything in your way to mess you up. No matter what it is, you try to live for God, uh, he's going to put stuff there to mess you up. He, he just is. I'll tell you, honestly, my own life, I wasn't going to share this story. I, I, I do my absolute best to spend time with the Lord every day. But there is a little person in my house, irregardless of when I spend time with Jesus, that person starts screaming every time. I've tried spending time with the Lord a little earlier. The second I sit down on the couch, I do it a little later, sit down on the couch, I wait. No, no joke, all right? I'm a absolute truth. I used, to, I, I used to spend time with the Lord a certain, you know, I tried to do that first thing when I got up and I would fall asleep and so I started exercising and then doing it after exercise. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, can, I could get up, get coffee, open my Bible, baby screaming. I get up, exercise, sit on the couch, open my Bible, baby screaming. That very second. And it's an internal debate in my head. How long can I go and read with the baby screaming before everybody, in the else, everybody else in the house wakes up? How, I mean, it's like, how far can I get before this whole thing breaks down? Um, I'm not saying the baby is a tool of the devil. <laughs> but sometimes I allow him to be. All that to say, some, when... You try to pursue Jesus, Satan's going to put anything and everything in your way to keep you from following Jesus. Even, like my case, a blessing. He can put it in your way to mess you up. Even a blessing that you did not think would be uh, something that would mess up your relationship with God or had potential to do that. But the enemy will use any means necessary. He doesn't play fair. He's a cheater. He'll use any means necessary. If you're trying to live the life God wants you to live and be the man or woman of God that he designed you to be, the enemy's going to use every tool at his disposal to prevent you from getting there. Every tool at his disposal to prevent you. And so God says, or Jesus speaking here, so we need to, Strive, pursue, be very focused in how we live the life of, this, of the disciple. Because this pride thing, doing what we're doing, living for God, really though, doing it to be seen, doing it, it is this secret poison to the life God designed for us that we often don't realize is pumping through our veins. And so Jesus is trying to point it out, saying, you've got to watch out, guys. That's why he says that first word, beware. That means keep an eye out. Watch out. It's there. Just look out for it. Keep your attention on Jesus in all these ways, in giving, in prayer, in fasting, in the life of the disciple. Maybe it, it's 
giving your attention to God for the very first time, period. Believing that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. And you want to give God your attention now for the first time, then that's what I'm asking, is will you do that? Will you believe today for the first time? Believe that Jesus died for your sins. Give God your attention. And then, just as he has given us his attention, pursue him every day in trying to give him attention. Not taking our attention for him and giving it to somebody else in how we live the Christian life, but keeping that attention where it should be on Jesus.